smart companies when COVID happened and the resignation, not even the resignation yet, just having to work from home and having that level of uncertainty is what really started transforming the value of people to business. It was no longer transactional. It became relational. And welcome to another episode of the Freedom Media Network podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Mercadante. We have yet another wonderful guest for you today under the overall heading of Freedom Business. But, you know, a lot of people hear that word freedom and they automatically think I'm talking about entrepreneurship. Well, today we're going to talk about companies of all shapes and sizes, mid-level, small, manufacturing, etc., and how you can build freedom within any size business. And our guest today is a friend, a client, Rico Pena of Pena Global. He has over 25 years of experience working with individuals, businesses, and Fortune 500 companies around the globe. He's a dynamic bilingual consultant, facilitator, author, and business development specialist. By the way, he's also an incredible chef. I want to hear more about that today. Uh, he works with executives to define, hire, train, and develop high-performing teams, and high-net-worth business models. And his new book, by the way, he wrote a book back in, I believe, 2010 called The Client Nation, Their Perception, Their Profits. He's a former Marine, and he's trained, facilitated, and presented on six continents and to more than 100,000 people in the last 23 years. His new brand spanking new book, which is wonderful, we're going to discuss today is It's Not Business, It's Personal, strategic conversations for the next gen leader. And in this book, you learn to treat virtual demands and uncertainty, which we're seeing a lot of today during this COVID era, as a motivation to increase productivity and employee engagement. You'll learn to master difficult conversations and be rewarded with the responses you need. You learn to establish trust and clear communication across your team, make a positive customer experience, whether you're working from home or at the office, and read customers' minds, it's not magic, folks, and behaviors to increase closing ratios. Rico, thank you so much for joining us on the Freedom Media Network. Kurt, it is an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. I don't know how I'm supposed to stand up to that massive introduction. I think that's the best introduction I've ever had. So thank you for being here. It is an absolute pleasure. Well, and, and you're lucky because I didn't have to re-record that introduction. You didn't witness me falling all over myself. So, well, thank you so much for being here today. And, and you know, the, the name of your book is It's Not Business, It's Personal. And at the heart of your book and at the heart of what you do is people. And there's three Ps that you like to talk about, right? People, performance, and yes, profits. So can you talk a little bit about things have changed over the last two years? They may never go back to the way they were pre-COVID. We have the great resignation. We have a lot of things. And there were a lot of folks who, uh, quote unquote, leaders, bosses, right, who paid lip service to the word people, right? Well, maybe it's a good PR trick. It's something I got to do. It's kind of like check the box. I'm sure you had people who said, Rico, come in. I got to check the box. Yeah, That's changed over the last two years. And people have, have really... Your people, how you treat your people has really become central to not only retaining them, but to building a business that can even, hell, we see this in the NBA. They can't even, you know, sports teams can't even feel people on the team. Businesses can't even open because they can't get people mm -hmm. in. So can you talk about that, how you've seen that focus on people change from a tick the box type thing to 
it's really central to build a thriving business. I think what ended up happening through the COVID, it accelerated with business was going inevitably due to the consumer's change on being more uh, friendly to being home and employees, especially the next generation, wanting to work from home. So COVID accelerated what would have happened maybe five or six years from now. Smart companies when COVID happened and the resignation, not even the resignation yet, just having to work from home and having that level of uncertainty is what really started transforming the value of people to business. It was no longer transactional. It became relational and across all fronts because it happened to everyone at the same time around the globe. So really smart companies started to recognize we need to a communicate more than we often have because they're at home. They're in a place where they typically don't work and everyone's there, kids, dogs, you know, Look at what is now um, acceptable on Zoom, right? The cat goes past, you have kids crying, and it's now part of business. But in the, at, at the beginning, it wasn't that case. So really smart leaders recognize we need to pay more attention to our staff, our employees, let them know where we are, where we're going, or we may have a mutiny on our hands. <laughs> well, they still had it. It's called the resignation. But it's pe- not because of what good leaders and companies did. What really happened in in the hundreds of leaders that I spoke to is that priorities changed. Hmm. And the companies that are aligning to those new priorities, both from a consumer base as well as their their teams, are the ones who are thriving today. There's one company, a large company who has has employees around the world, realized very early on, and I think about six months uh, once the pandemic hit and everyone realized we're not really going anywhere that made some massive adjustments in communication, working from home, providing new groups and services and things of that nature. They make they became really employee focused versus consumer focused. And that is now they're, they're leading in, in their market because employees wanna stay, wanna work, because those adjustments were made very, very quickly. As opposed to companies who are now falling behind they're either out of business or they're struggling to find top quality staff and employees. Can you can you tell our, our clients a little bit, or our clients, our listeners and viewers, uh, and by the way, I'm not going to argue if any of our listeners and viewers want to become clients, uh, but, but can, you tell, <laughs> <laughs> can you tell our, our audience a bit about uh, Pena Global and the types of businesses that you work with? So we work with medium-sized companies to somewhat startups. Five to 10 is our smallest, all the way up to 250 employees. And where our expertise comes in is more of a, a bespoke service on how you hire, how you train, how you manage your teams to generate the highest level of profitability. And that back to what you said before, you know, it's about process, people, and profits. What I find too often is that most companies, when they're growing, especially fast growth, when you look at the healthcare industry that grew so quickly because of the demand, they were just hiring whoever they could, where now they're hurting because either people are leaving or they didn't have the skill set or now they're burnt out. And leadership is, has a hard time being able to upskill the key people that are there. So what our services bring is understanding the process. We tend to forget if you have the right process that generates a desired result, 
then you just need to plug in the right people who can do that process naturally. And so we look at your onboarding. Are you onboarding the right people, especially right now where you're having to pay a higher price than you did 24 months ago? And right now, if you're in a, if you are looking for a job, you're in the cat seat. You can really ask if you have the skill set and the resume and the background. So are you really hiring the right person beyond skill that fits the culture, but also aligns to your values that attracts the most profitable customer? But now you hire the right person. Are they fitting into your culture and your team? And can your leaders manage effectively to bring the best performance of that particular individual? We tend to forget that till it's too late. And then finally, are you providing the, the number one customer journey, especially with the new trends, the new adjustments, the new changes that maintain or attract new customers and they're getting the experience that keeps them there? What I've noticed in the last six months for a lot of companies, consumers are making better decisions or, or profitable decisions or financial decisions based on the experience, mm -hmm. not necessarily product or brand. Brand might get them in the door, but right now they know everything is can come to my home. There's a lot more options online that I, if the experience isn't there, why would I spend my money? So much has changed in the consumer mindset about being home, priorities, um, being able to be convenient, quality, that right people, right process creates the highest level of profits. Now, you, you <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> clear my throat. You work with, uh, I know you work with some, for instance, uh, some uh, hospitality uh, in terms of restaurant groups, but also manufacturers. And you know, I see people posting online, some really smart people that they're in airports and restaurants are shut down. I mean, Starbucks, because they can't find people. I was speaking to my brother and he said, you know, it's, it's really hard. He's in the corrugated, bo uh, corrugated box manufacturing. And he said, you know, people in the industry are offering four grand as bonuses. Now they're bypassing the employment agency. So they're getting that money. They're offering four grand. The Holiday Inn Express here was offering four or $500 bonus for like housekeeping, right? So you see this not only with the resignation, but the, the, the trouble or the challenge in bringing in people at a level of housekeepers and people to, to, to work tables at a restaurant, but you're also seeing it in manufacturing. Yeah. You work with that, that kind of, you span the gamut there of, of those are they different challenges? And, you know, I talked to like five different people and like, I, we can't explain it. We can't explain where are the people because for a while it was the moratorium on uh, rent or, 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 or evictions. And then it was like, well, the government's paying people to stay home. Well, it's my understanding that that's all, that all went away. And yet there's still these challenges. Does it, is it all go to the heart of what you said? Or is, is, there a, is there a big difference between, say, a restaurant being able to find people and a manufacturing or even white collar bringing people in? Not at all. I mean, that is across the board. I've got clients in quite a bit of different sectors from accounting to aviation to casinos, restaurants, manufacturing, big equipment sales, and they're all running into that same element. And even though no one really has the answer, based on my interviews and based on working with different types of employees, the one thing I've noticed that's a common thread across the board Notice what you said. We're offering $4,000 bonus here and $400 bonuses there. The individuals that I'm looking 
at and interviewed, or if you look at the caliber of employee you're looking to work in those positions, for the most part, they're not really driven by money, mm-hmm. but you're incentivizing them by money. Uh, and a great example is if, if uh, look up Gravity Falls. This is the CEO. I think it was like four or five years ago, decided to pay every employee a starting salary of $75,000. And that became the reason that he noticed a lot of his employees at 30 or 40,000 were stressed, not performing at the highest level. So he started looking at at what point do most individuals stop stressing about money? And that was at that $75,000 level. So he lowered his to 75. So everyone starts at 75,000. But he didn't stop there. The culture that he created is that is almost like an entrepreneurial culture. Ideas, concepts are encouraged. So where most companies are struggling to find employees, he's got a waiting list of people wanting to work for Gravity Falls. They've quadrupled their revenue through the pandemic. And it wasn't because just of the 75,000, that's an initial but the people stay there because of the culture. So when I look at hospitality and a lot of the positions that you're talking about are tend to be hourly. And you got to go back to, in in the book, we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And this is the hierarchy of needs that people need to achieve at different levels to move from one level to another. You know, the basic being food, shelter, even now Wi-Fi and cellular service is a basic need, right? And until those things are not fulfilled, they're not going to look for the next or the next or the next. So what happened? When you got home and you were in COVID and you couldn't go anywhere, the the perception of having to go to the higher level of needs, whether it's money, whether it's comfort, whether it's popularity, whatever it was, changed to the basic needs. So companies that are able to hire at a higher level are cultural first aligning to those needs, but still being able to provide a financial ability to sustain those elemental needs that they need, the first top three, psychological resources. I have it right here. Psychological, safety, social, and esteem. If you are not able to align that, especially for the next generation, I saw that in the hospitality, college kids, high school kids, even career servers, They took a step back going, do I still want to not have weekends, work 20 hours and barely make a living? Everyone's perception of, okay, this is a reset for me. What does what what does joy mean to me? What do I want to do? And companies need to think about how do we incentivize differently? Smart companies are incentivizing across the board, days off, working from home, health care, child care. You know, there are different ways to motivate and incentivize people. And I'm seeing the 25 to 35 looking for more experiences than revenue. They're Mm -hmm. taking vacations instead of giving gifts. So I think we still are trying to figure a lot of this out. But because there's such a high level of uncertainty with COVID and now Omicron, and, you know, are we going to be in business in the next six months? that what we are forced is all of the potential workforce down to those basic needs. And if they don't feel confident I can fulfill those basic needs, I'm either going to provide it for myself or find a company that I know will be around and I don't have to worry about it. it, it it's so interesting, you know, over the last two years, 
seeing, you know, uh, two, three years ago, I talk about the word freedom and companies would step away, right? Because they'd think freedom, entrepreneurship, no, we don't want freedom. But a lot of the things you mentioned from gravity and, and, and more entrepreneurship and giving a little more autonomy and ownership to the employees. But then you even talked about 25 to 35, you're wanting that experience and wanting more joy. But also as the work from home, you know, we, um, we have a friend whose husband, uh, they're up in New Hampshire and his, he loves his job, but it was like a two hour commute. I need to have to work. Well, he realized being home, well, I could see my wife, mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of social interaction with people in the office. That's good. However, people also realized without some of the needless meetings and water cooler talk, wow, I'm done with my work at like noon and now I can spend time doing something I want to do. They have a little, it's like blood in the water. They taste a little freedom. Well, they, they're doing back work, uh, going back into the office. And he said, I love my job, but I'm quitting mm -hmm. because he realized he needed some of that freedom. Um, have you, how have you seen a shift and how can uh, employers help instill or instill is not a word because you don't, you can't instill freedom, right. right? But allow more freedom amongst their employees. You know, that scares probably some CEOs who are used to, to, to having control, exactly. right? But, yeah. but is it just, is it necessary? Those, those next gen leaders that you read about in the book are going to have to learn how to um, manage and be true leaders while allowing some freedom of uh, amongst their teams. Yeah, you hit at the core why I wrote the book. I mean, this was 10 years of constant training and and hearing the same challenges, whether it was someone that had 25 years of experience and now they have a much bigger team or a younger leader who, who rose through the ranks with a top performer and now was giving a management position. How do I handle a team? It, it, it's amazing to me, the more I interviewed and the more I worked on this book, to recognize that most of the leaders and most employees spend more time in training about product and service than dealing with another human being that they're trying to sell to or leaders trying to communicate to. It, it, uh, organizations don't recognize the importance that the same amount of training you're giving for product or service, you need to give for leadership and management skills because now they're dependent on an entire group. So freedom, as you as you were talking about, Kurt, is when they got that taste, that two-hour commute, I no longer need to do so. Before COVID, I needed those two years to move up into my career, so eventually I can either retire or achieve the level of freedom I am planning on. Mm -hmm. So the, the desire for that freedom didn't change the end goal. The avenue to getting there is what changed. So when I work with new leaders and new organizations, they got a new team, especially during COVID, and some of them had even seen their teams physically. They've only seen it through this medium, hmm. you know, virtually. Uh, the one of the things I started to work with them is back to the Maslow's hierarchy is understanding you need to work with them and understand what is your why. And Simon Sinek made this beautifully. Not your why for five years in retirement. What is your why for the next 30 days? Hmm. What is your driving factor that you need to accomplish? Now, together in a collaborative way, let's put together a plan with whatever they're doing, whether it's sales or customer service, that helps you achieve that for 30 days. Now you have buy-in, but it's collaborative. 
The second challenge that a lot of new leaders that I noticed around that freedom element is they felt the pressure from now their new bosses to get their teams to perform. But all they knew is how I did it. Well, as you and I know, not everyone's the same. So when we start looking at assessments and analysis, when we start looking at behavior, listening and communication, those are all skill sets that a lot of these new leaders required to build that trust in that team to be able to understand what does freedom mean to you? How do we improve performance? But how can I lead you effectively for them? They didn't have the skill sets to that. So what organizations are now struggling with, exactly how you articulated, they got a taste. I don't want to have that two-hour commute. I don't want to be on that train. I don't have to deal with parking. I don't have to deal with the cities. I like working from home. And new stats are showing that those who are were really good in the office, self-managing, are performing at a higher level from home. Hmm. But there's one challenge that I want to tell every business owner executive or CEO. The problem with those high performers is they don't know how to turn it off from home. Hmm. Meeting after meeting after meeting where they could take a break to go to lunch. That two-hour drive is a way to kind of leave work at, at work and be able to come home. They need to have guidance and leadership that you need to take time off, put your calendar off, respect that calendar, don't work on weekends, because now there is a mental health and physical health issue that those top performers start to think about if I'm not doing something, A, I don't think I'm, I'm getting the results I'm looking for. And I want to make sure my bosses know I'm still producing, even though I'm home. Yeah, that was such a, I mean, I've been work from home kind of on my own since 2005. Mm -hmm. And way back then, you know, turning it off. Um, even feeling guilty, right? Because when you're when you're used to working in an office, you know, it's like my dad raised me with this this mentality, right? First one in, last one out, right? Yeah. And so, a lot of times, and then I worked in political campaigns where it's like, well, working hard at midnight. No, you're not. You're drinking beer and eating pizza, right. but you're at the office. So, you, what I learned to do was fill the time with busy work or just more stuff, and then I burn myself out. And so now it's so interesting that even non-entrepreneurs have to learn, like you said, to shut it off because you're less effective. Well, you're less effective if you're dead, right? Right. <laughs> you're less effective if you're not healthy, if your relationships are horrible, if you're, uh, I just read a great book, Leadership and Self-Deception, uh, that kind of went to that heart of, they call them in and it's like, hey, we're going to deal with some things that help you with relationships here in the business, but you know it had some breakthroughs with his wife and his kid as well. So you mentioned that there are teams where the people have never met in person. I just, I just talked to a company there in marketing there in Minnesota and they were, we were talking about they were, they were gonna come down here to Phoenix and I was maybe gonna do a facilitation at their retreat. It's the first time their team members have ever met in person. Now, this company is by design, they have people across the country, but there's people, there's companies in the same city in which the people have never met each other. How do you work with a company and how do you recommend to those leaders to, because relationships at work are important, but if we have meetings like this, you know, let's say, let's say you have a meeting at work and let's say it's a useful meeting, not one of the many useless meetings that companies have. You leave the meeting, you and I leave the meeting, we have our coffee and there's three minutes of 
chit chat on the way back to the office. Now you, you turn off Zoom and then you're, you're done. Yep. How do you counsel leaders to help their people build healthy relationships with one another in a virtual world? Great question. You know, the number one challenge for any leader, any organization is getting this one thing right. Communication. Mm -hmm. What I find at the core of every team performance, business growth or loss of revenue is the lack of clear, consistent communication <laughs> or the inability to communicate and articulate in a manner that people understand your point of view. Uh, one of the sayings that I have is that in order to change your perspective, you must change your point of reference. Well, how do you do that in a virtual world? Well, the one thing that I work with leaders is instead of guessing, let's use science. So we use very robust uh, assessments to identify behavior, motivation, um, best ideal environment, communication, words. I mean, we get really in depth and we use those tools to train leaders on how to conduct different meetings and communicate effectively either in the meeting, after the meeting, or pre-meeting. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, for any leader listening to this, you probably will identify quickly in your head certain people that I'm about to identify. There are some individuals that are very, very social. They love to talk. They're the ones by the cooler. They're the great people in the party. They bring all the energy. They're very social creatures. Well, if you have a Zoom meeting and you started on time, you've probably experienced those individuals wanting to talk or interrupting, going down rabbit holes, because those individuals need personal contact. Hmm. So how do we mitigate that? Well, you invite those individuals 15 or 20 minutes before the meeting and just socialize. Because like a pressure cooker, they need to have that interaction and catch up with non-business related elements. That's how they make their connection. That's how they feel comfortable and they start to listen to business elements. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, you have probably a lot of employees or let's get to the bottom line, let's get results or very detail oriented. Well, the detail oriented and the, the task, you want to send them an agenda and give them points for them to interact in the meeting so they stay focused and engaged. Mm. For the detailed, they need to know what's the meeting, what do I need to be prepared for. They, the, the, some of them will show up 50 minutes early, some of them will be on time, and they expect the agenda to be fulfilled. Now you got everyone engaged. And number three, which most leaders struggle with, you should be asking more questions and talking less hmm. so that the, the staff is engaged and you can hear where they are, what they need, and what points you need to interject to make sure they're going down the path you want them to. But the more engagement you get, the more focused they are in your meeting and why they're there. Too, too many leaders think you go into a boardroom, here's what I want, we have a brief conversation and you leave. Well, virtual has changed that because what most people are thinking, if it's not something of interest, is about the next meeting or the next task or the text that just came on or the email they just pinged. Focus equals currency. And the only way you get that currency is through either notoriety or communication, constant collaboration and communication. So if you're a leader doing those things and then understanding through a report or analysis, who am I communicating with? How do I adapt my communication style in order to make these meetings more efficient? You're going to see productivity increase. And then afterwards, those social, you should be on the phone with them. 
You should have me one-on-ones with them. And therefore, you, they feel that they're still part of the team. I, uh, you're, you're giving me PTSD from a former client and employer who used to have these Monday morning meetings. Right. And the meeting was the first half hour, maybe 40 minutes, was going through the boss's schedule line by line with like 15 people sitting around listening to it. And then everyone had 30 seconds to go and say, what are you working on this week? And then she would kind of pick at it. And then it would be lengthened by the people, probably with a calculating behavior style, having to hear themselves. And so they would lengthen it because they just needed to add something that was actually just repeating something somebody just said. Right. And it was like, how much more productive could we be with that hour, hour and a half, you know, uh, in a truly collapse? And that was an in-person meeting. I, I can't even, I have no idea if they're doing them virtually. If so, God bless them. If you're in sales, you recognize that your sales meetings virtually have shrunk. You've got to get to the point of very short period of time. Well, that's also true with meetings because every meeting looks the same, like these boxes, right? Um, Communication is the same. And you you're probably have a stack of meetings that you've put on your calendar. So unless it's very interesting or to the point, you're going to lose your audience. So what I'm telling leaders right now is at the beginning of the month, have a 30-minute meeting, speak to everyone individually as what is their role to the overall goal. Everyone's familiar with what are we trying to achieve this month. And even if it's a once a week, it should be no more than 15 meetings. Where are you? What do you need any help with? Are we still on track? And if we're not on track, let's have a one-on-one afterwards. That's it. You shouldn't really have these lengthy meetings because you're going to lose the attention span of your team, especially if you're the only one speaking. And, you know, you mentioned assessments and, and you and I both like DISC and you have a number of assessments you use. You know, one thing that, that a client um, last year who is, he was trying to build a side hustle and, uh, well, he was trying to take a side hustle full time. He since has. But one of the things that was happening, it was interesting, was he had a day job and his morning meeting at his day job would so throw him off for the day that he just mentally couldn't even build his side hustle business. Mm-hmm. We got to the root of it. And, and what it turned out, his boss at his day job was very task oriented. My client was very people oriented. Mm-hmm. They would have these meetings and she would jump in and she would not ask, how's your day? How was your weekend? How are your kids? He took that as she doesn't care about me she doesn't like me. She's mean, right? Mm-hmm. No, and her point of view, that might not have been the case, right? She just, wh- whatever. And so once he had that awareness and appreciation, he looked at her differently as an actual person and said, oh, maybe, maybe I could jump in or maybe I could align my behavior style. Do you see that too? And, and what's the importance of oh, leaders absolutely. aligning it? Oh, that's where I came up with a theme. You know, if you, you want to change your perspective, you got to change your point of reference and you've got to have that empathy and understanding. Let me put myself in their shoes and better understand their perspective, why they do what they do. Because and often for leaders, we're so focused on our point of view, our perspective, our priorities, that we don't take a time to understand what are their priorities. Going back to, do you know their why for the month? Collaboratively working with that. I just worked with a client. It's a, a an IT placement company. They've been around for 15 years, $30 million company. And the board, the executive board was just at each other's throat. 
because they were trying to build a different department and they, there was no clarity. So they brought me in. Took two days, but we got to the root and the cause of things. So you have the CEO who is the inventor, the creative, the outgoing, a high driven individual who say, let's just try this and see what happens. Not understanding that's a ripple effect throughout the entire department. And so when I got to what is the vision and values, the entire executive team that has been there for 12 years says, we have no idea, hmm. not a clue. So as we work towards understanding communication, perception, and why certain values were important, the CEO finally recognized, and I asked him, why did you start this company? He said, I started this company because I wanted individuals who in the uh, regular market didn't have the opportunity to grow in this field. So he created a training mechanism, a, a, a positioning mechanism, an ongoing place where they can work and grow their skill set. The entire executive was saying, that is the first I've ever heard of it, and that is something we can get behind in. Now we know why we do what we do. But every individual had a different reason based on their behavior styles, their values, and their communication style. Mm -hmm. So that's why when we bring in the assessments and we work with boards, we work with teams, we're looking at all those little nuances, training leaders, this is what's important as a culture, this is what's important to this individual and how it aligns to your overall vision and mission. As we have this greater focus on people, as a necessary step and activity amongst leaders, right, to, to build that the, the performance, to be able to stay open, and serve clients, serve customers better. You've also have this pressure that was pre-COVID of automation, yeah, and you know AI, et cetera. And and even when when you look at even restaurants, like we're going to Outback Steakhouse, and all of a sudden there's kiosks to order food. And I've read studies like people will order more food with a kiosk because they're not they don't feel bad if they want that extra burger. They don't feel that level of guilt and everything. You know, you see it in McDonald's. I mean, there's also pressures uh, rising, say, uh, minimum wage. Uh, plus you have COVID. Plus you have safety protocols. You have this now, the resignation and, and, and trouble hiring people. Uh, you have the $4,000 bonus. Looking a year or two ahead, where do you see that in terms of leadership of companies saying, yeah, we got to invest in our people, but from a purely profitability, expense, and money standpoint, and maybe even health with everything that's going on now, where do you see, do you see an explosion of toward this uh, automation, even in, I mean, even in restaurants and saying we can't find people. So you know what? We're going to use the people we have to bus tables because a bot can't do that yet. But right. for ordering, you know, are you seeing that? Do you think that's going to happen? Is this going to speed it up? Oh, absolutely. It already has. If you look at Japan, a lot of restaurants in Japan are robots that are cooking. You know, they, wow. they have it at a level of a Michelin level. I think this, you're going to see a blend. I, in my industry, in the training and consulting industry, what I'm already seeing, what was exacerbated because of COVID, is that you have to start thinking about how do we train in the virtual reality world, the augmented world. Uh, and a lot of different industries are doing that. So I'll go into the manufacturing because this is what I'm seeing this more pervasive than anywhere else right now. Companies realize, okay, we can have an initial investment and automate a lot of these key elements, but we still need that person-to-person -person connection. 
So what they've done is they've created a virtual reality training mechanism to train individuals that probably normally they would have never hired in person, but they can do it virtually. So using virtual reality training is safer, is more economical and more efficient. Hmm. Sales, I don't really, I see an, a, a collaboration of AI, um, automation, and still the face-to-face because you're still dealing with a human being. And I think that's where companies that, especially in the tech world, don't understand. Mm-hmm. You're still dealing with a person who's making a decision. Until every organization goes automated, there's still people. You're in the business of people, of relationship, of solving problems. The tools you use may change or the convenience factor may change, but there's still the people to people is still there. So what I'm noticing both in manufacturing IT companies is they're realizing we need to invest in more technology, but to make our people more efficient. So you've probably heard the term upskill and reskill. And that's because of technology coming into certain spaces because so many people want to work remotely. Well, some of them don't have the bandwidth to do that. So they're hmm. implementing into that. But they're having to reskill them. If I, I, I was dealing with a manufacturing company whose most sales rep had been there for 30 years. They're in their 50s and 60s. It took them three months to figure out how to do Zoom. Okay? Some of them still have, you know, old phones. So you have to reskill or upskill that ability to use technology. As the next generation comes in, believe it or not, your technology better be at their level of expertise or they see you, they'll see you as someone who's still behind the times. So mm-hmm. there's that balance. So companies who are not trying to replace employees with technology, but looking at technology to improve key elements of their position that maintain customer loyalty, customer journey, and that customer experience are going to improve. The area that I think is going to struggle is that hospitality. I work with major casinos and restaurants, and there is going to be a change. Right now, I just saw a commercial for Uber and DoorDash. Well, consumers have changed how they expect services. They're now going into the pet smarts. They are going to the Home Depots and adding that delivery mechanism where you don't have to leave your home. So, a couple of uh, customers in the restaurant industry that I have have started to think about how do we change to fit that new paradigm and shrink some of the personal, depending on how well I'm a staff that we have. So brick and mortar footprints are going to shrink. You're going to have more automation, uh, but smart companies are looking, how do we increase the experience and uh, profitability of the people that we have through technology? So the name of your book is It's Not Business, It's Personal. Let's get a little personal with you. And, uh, and, and I hinted at some I of this, this at, the front, <laughs> at the front end of the podcast. Uh, U.S. Marine Corps, former chef. You've sent me some pictures that are just like mouth-watering pictures. <laughs> and, um, and now you're, you're helping people you know, with performance and people and, and going in there. How did you get from the U.S. Marine Corps to being a chef to what you're doing now? Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I think at the core, uh, I remember in high school, um, A, I was always driven by being the best, um, but also not because of wanting to have the accolades, but I always felt the drive to help people, to always mm. be there. 
with people. I have a na- I had a natural knack for that. The Marine Corps really fine tuned that understanding of both leadership, uh, performance, and th- and how to work with a team, putting that team first. Um, how you are dependent on your team, but they're dependent on you in so many different ways. Is that collaboration? Uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, both my, I grew up with my grandmother and my mom. They're both exceptional chefs. And I had a love of food. So my first job in high school, I was training to be a chef. Out of high school, my first job was working in the kitchen. It's what I really knew. Uh, and I've had a passion for it. And I think it goes back to uh, when you think of Thanksgiving or any at meals. You know, that's why in sales, we always go to dinner. And that's where you close the deal. There is something about sitting down and breaking bread that people's defenses get down. You can have a, a, an honest conversation. You can really connect with people. There's something about food and that environment that it's always been near and dear to my heart. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. I have my entire family come to my house and I'll cook throughout the entire time. My family does not have to worry about the kitchen while they're here. And it's my joy to sit people communicating different generations. You know, my father-in-law's 90 talking to his granddaughter who's 17, right? Because of the food. So that to me was, was really near and dear. Uh, and that just evolved into uh, being an entrepreneur, uh, having some great mentors that got me through different things, having personal relationship with my daughter and how these assessments and communication, emotional quotient, all of those things transform how I parented. And then translating that into business, watching these young leaders who are hungry, who have um, a desire to do better for their teams and have a totally different perspective of how things should be done, rightfully so, that's the evolution, but don't have the tools and skill sets to really meet their best self. So that to me is my passion. That's why I wrote the book um, on it. That's why it took 10 years. I didn't want to write another book. but all my clients, including my family, said, you know, you're dealing with this on a regular basis. I saw a need. And I wanted to impart those 10 years of not just ideas, but things that have worked. We have proven that process. Um, and I, I want to set the next generation for success. And if I can get one person that because of the book or because of the way we train and our consulting, our tools, whatever we use to elevate and be able to perform, then we've done our job. That's wonderful. When you, when you were talking about Thanksgiving and, and food and bringing people together, I, I thought, you know, we, we recently had a, uh, an untimely passing in our family and, mm-hmm. and it was my sister-in-law and her mom, they, they were a classic Italian family. Yeah. And my mom was there when they shared the news with my sister-in-law's parents and they're in their nineties, right? Italian. And, you know, different people deal with news in different ways. Well, my sister-in-law's mom apparently got up and started cooking. And it was like, people are going to come over. I, I got to cook. And it reminded me of the Godfather. You remember uh, all of a sudden they're, they're, the war starts and they're going to the mattresses. And so yep. Clemenza gets up and he's cooking the gravy. The big pot, and, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, people are going to come over. People That's are going right. to come over. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating going back. Uh, heck, you know, for, for those who, who just celebrated, Christians who just celebrated Christmas, I mean, right. one of the... The, the last supper and, and, exactly. the, and the whole thing of breaking bread with people. Yeah. It's, it, it's deeper than just the meal. And, and, and it goes to that heart of, of people. Right. Exactly. And, and that's the connection, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, when you look at the root word for communication, the Latin word, it means community. Mm. 
communicating, connecting with people, start with how we communicate, how we connect. But more importantly, how do we understand each other's perspective and respect that perspective? And I know there's a lot of pressure and a lot of uncertainty, um, a lot of anxiety because we don't know what's going to happen next. But I believe that as leaders, it is our job to provide the best life possible, the best experience in culture possible so that our teams can fulfill their dreams. That is why we were made to be leaders. And for that, we need the right tools and the right abilities and skill sets to do that efficiently beyond revenue, beyond all of the accolades that come with that. True leaders understand that, and it starts with communicating in a manner that brings everyone in and, and everyone can feel part of something. That's wonderful. Rico Pena, the book is, It's Not Business, It's Personal, Strategic Conversations for the Next Gen Leader. I just gifted a number of copies Thank you to so some much. of my clients. We're going to link to the book where you can go grab it in the show notes. Rico, people listen to this and they're like, I got to learn more about Rico. I got to get in touch with them. How, what's the best way for them to connect with you? You can look, visit our website, www.penaglobal.net. Uh, you can actually uh, email me, rico at penaglobal.net, LinkedIn at Rico Pena. And Kurt, for your listeners, in January, we're going to be releasing a lot of training videos based on the book where leaders can actually apply these tools. You know, we talk a lot about things and we provide a lot of know-how, but a lot of things that were not made in the book, we're going to be creating now into different videos that you can do at your own pace. And we'll make sure to release it to your listeners first before it goes out into the market. So reach out to me if you have more information. Kurt, it has been an honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for writing that amazing foreword for all your support. You're an amazing person. And to anyone listening here, if you want to take your business to the next level, if you want to understand who your customer base is and how to reach out to them, you have to talk to Kirk because we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for working with Kirk. And it, that is the honest truth. Well, thank you, Rico. And likewise, any, anyone out there who's a leader, maybe you're not a leader yet. Maybe you're just a boss and you want to be a leader. You want to be one of those next gen leaders. Get the book. Yeah. Contact Rico. We're going to put all his links in the show notes. When you release those training videos, we'll come back. We'll put those in the yeah, show notes absolutely. as well. Rico, it has been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the Freedom Media Network. Same here. Thank you so much for having me, Kurt.